step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8-Side Network. Annika Sorenstam joins us on Sports Byline, the Hall of Fame golfer, and she is regarded as one of the best female golfers in history. And before stepping away from competitive golf, she had won 90 international pro tournaments, making her the winningest female golfer. She also won 72 LPGA tournaments, including 10 majors and 18 other tournaments internationally. And she tops the LPGA's career money list with earnings of over $22 million. That's over $2 million ahead of her nearest rival while playing 149 fewer events. And she won a record eight Player of the Year awards and is the only female golfer to shoot a 59 in competition. Annika, let's go back to where it all started. Bros, Sweden. It's a small little town. Tell me about growing up there. Yes, you're right. It's a very, very small little town outside Stockholm on the west side. Um, I... um my parents were, um, you know, golfers. They started early. As a matter of fact, my mom, she takes credit for some of my success because um, I was in her <laughs> belly when she started to play. So she told me I felt the rhythm really early. So, um, but, you know, golf wasn't something that I wanted to do. You know, when I was young, I was more into soccer. I played a lot of tennis. Uh, I did downhill skiing, etc. And, um you know, golf was something I thought was for old people. So I would go out there and, you know, get ice cream and sit on the golf cart and, uh, go, as I said, the pool cart, I should say. Um, so I was introduced early, but really didn't, didn't catch on until a little later. So, uh, but, uh, you know, very sporty uh, family. My sister also played the similar sports I did. So uh, it was a nice uh, upbringing. Yeah. Was there any sibling rivalry between you and Charlotta? I would say so. <laughs> Yeah, we're both very competitive. Um, I like to say it was a friendly one. Uh, but, yeah, we're very competitive. Uh, both our parents are competitive. I mean, so if we played uh, cards or Yahtzee or anything like that, we will be, you know, there will be some cards flying around, a little anger here and there. But, um, you know, looking back at it, I think, it, you know, it was fun. It made us, uh, you know, focused. It made us, uh, you know, just kind of 
just have fun doing it too. So, um, but yeah, no, we have similar interests, and obviously both ended up playing on the LPGA, and and so it turned out okay. <laughs> You mentioned about uh, being an all-around athlete. You certainly were a nationally ranked junior tennis player. You played for the hometown soccer team, and as you uh, mentioned, also a very good skier. When you gravitated to golf, was that hard to do when you take a look at the other sports that you were involved in? One takes a lot of patience, and there's a lot of downtime. In the other one, there isn't much downtime at all. It was. I mean, I I think um, what really what happened is I I competed in tennis for – you know, for eight years, and I really didn't get anywhere. I had um, I had a weak backhand that you know just wasn't my my strong suit, and my opponents noticed it right away. So um, I just didn't get anywhere in tennis. I and I just I think eventually I just kind of realized that this was not my thing, and and I had started to play golf, and I really enjoyed practicing. I enjoyed being out there, you know, in the sunset paddling, or I enjoyed being there early in the morning hitting hitting balls and I felt like in tennis, you know, you obviously very dependent on your opponent, you know, whether you're just practicing or you're competing with somebody and, but in golf, I felt like I can go out there and just work on my swing. You know, if I want to hit the draw, I can play a draw. And if I wanted to do this, I could do all those things. And, um, so it was, um, I think that's why I liked it. And also just, it was so tough, you know, golf is a tough sport. Uh, as you all know, I mean, you feel like one day you have it and the next day you wonder where it went. And I just, I wanted to figure it out. I wanted to, you know, understand why I couldn't be consistent. I wanted to figure out how to hit that flop shot and then, you know, different lies every time and then different conditions. And it was just, I was intrigued by the sport early. Um, and then when I didn't have the other sports, you know, I could spend more time on the golf course. And I think, you know, the more I played, the more I loved it. You bring up something very interesting. Uh, I thought about this one time when I was covering a golf tournament, and that is the fact you're playing the same course for four days. And yet, uh, as you pointed out, one day you could shoot six under par, the next day you could be three over par. What is the difference between that? Yes, it's a very good question. Uh, you know, it's just interesting. We feel like, you know, every day should be very similar, but, you know, some days we wake up and you're not always on the, you know, the right side of the bed. And, you know, the way I compare it to is just, you get in a car and sometimes you drive and you get stopped at every red light and some days you just keep on going. It's green. So <laughs> with golf, it's just, you know, I think it's, that's what I like about it. It's just every day is different, whether the wind is turning a little bit or, you know, maybe had some rain overnight, the greens are a little slower. And it's just, you have to learn how to adapt and adjust uh, every single day. And, and I think that that's what, what I like about it is the challenge, you know, it's always something new and, and the way that we, our bodies feel and the feel that we have. And um, so, you know, that was my goal to be a consistent player, trying to figure out how can I, you know, repeat my swing and obviously making sure I had the same warm up routine and, and pre-shot routine to trying to get in the same frame of mind uh, so that I would perform more consistently. But that's what makes golf, I think, can be, you know, frustrating for some, but also what makes people come back to the game is they hit that wonderful shot and then they go, they know they have it and then they just want to do it again. So it's that constant seeking of, of hitting it again. I know I tried golf once and I gave it up and I'll tell you the reason why I'm a tennis player. I know when I make a mistake in tennis, five seconds later, I can forget about it. If I did it in golf, I was, I had all the time I was looking for the mistake. (laughs) That is true. I mean, that's, you know, in golf, as you know, I mean, sorry, in tennis, as you know, it's more, you're reacting, the ball is coming over pretty fast, and it's just, you know, take the racket back and, and swing at it in golf. you got 
You might have to walk 200 yards to find it. And during those <laughs> 200-yard walks, you have time to think, you know, think about all kinds of stuff. So, again, I think that's what made it so interesting is, you know, uh, you want to think in golf, but you need to think at the right time and obviously have the right thoughts. Yeah, that's another thing, too. The mind can be a very bad enemy for you, can it not? If you make a bad shot, you got all the time walking down to that shot. Do you have to keep it simple? Well, I mean, in a perfect world, yes. I mean, it's easier said than done, you know, because when I think in golf, you know, we have a tendency to complicate things. You want to do it right. And then you think about all those thoughts and, you know, whether it's the swing you know, the grip, the backswing, you know, the, the impact, the follow-through, and then you look at target and all these things. I think what, what's the hardest part with golf is, is uh, compared to tennis is, you know, you like you said, you can move on. But in golf, you have to continue to count that shot. If you hit a bad shot out of bounds, you know, you carry that shot on for like four days in a tournament. So, <laughs> you know, it's like it's, you have really have to learn how to forget bad shots. Remember good ones forget about bad ones and it's not that easy you know you go to you know let's say the seventh hole and you you didn't do so well on number three it's easy just to kind of keep carrying that on and thinking about that bad pot or bad instead of just trying to you know put it aside and move on so I think that's another thing that you learn the more you play and and especially when you're at a higher level you have to do that you know I, I keep telling uh, the young girls that I mentor, you know, I've never hit a bad shot in my life because I don't want to remember it. You know, you quickly <laughs> think of it and then you make an adjustment and then, you know, time to move on. It, there's just no time to carry um, excess, um, uh, you know, bad shot in your bag. You know, it's interesting you bring that up. Anytime I've talked to uh, any of the professional athletes, whether it be football I know John Elway told me one time the best thing you can do is forget the last thing uh, that you did if it wasn't a good thing. And also when it comes to closers in baseball, they have to have a short memory as well. So it's interesting to hear you say the same thing about golf. Is it true when you were 12, you shared your first set of golf clubs with your sister? You got the odd number clubs and Charlotte, I got the even ones. Yeah, that is true. So um, I think it might have even been a few years later, but uh, that's when my dad realized that we had, you know, started an interest uh, in golf, and he wanted to make sure we had some decent equipment. So he bought one set and just split it up. So um, because you know, and I really, you know, I look at kids nowadays. I mean, it's good to have half a set, or you know, because that makes you a little more creative, you know. And I remember having the odds if I needed to hit a six. It's like, okay, do I hit the seven? a little extra or do I hit this five a little softer? You know, you have to kind of maneuver a little bit, work the ball. And, you know, nowadays you really don't see that much because you just grab a six and you hit it. So, you know, it made me um, a little bit more creative on the course. And, and, you know, at that age, I really didn't think of it any differently. It was just, it was kind of fun. You know, this is what you do. You turn it, you open it up or you close it or whatever you want to do to make it what you didn't have. We have about a minute before we have to break, but what was the greatest asset you had, Annika, on the course? Um, probably, uh, I mean, other than support from my parents, I most likely would say it's my mind, you know, the mental aspect of the game. Um, I like to say it was my 15th club. Also, I think about uh, Swede, Sweden and also the way Swedish people, I have some friends over in Stockholm, and I remember talking to them one night, and I was always caught up by the fact that they were very methodical in the way they thought, and I always thought that that probably would help you when it came to golf as well. Am I correct in that observation? Maybe, yeah. I mean, it's, um, maybe it has to do a little bit with uh, the personality and 
Um, you know, my dad worked for IBM for 25 years, so I was uh, I kind of had his uh, strategic thinking, you know, planning, organizing a little bit. And, you know, he sent me to computer uh, camps uh, some summers, and, you know, I wanted to be outside, and here I was sitting inside programming, right, because at that time, you know, they really didn't have the software. You have to write your own software. They had the hardware, and we had to write it. And I was sitting in there thinking, oh, this is not really what I want to do. But I learned early on how to write them. And so I created my own golf um, statistical, statistical program. So I, I guess I used it later when I did play, so it did work out. But So I guess I, guess I have that little mind for numbers and planning, and I still analyze my game when I do go out. Hall of Fame golfer Annika Sorenstam is with us. When we come back, we're going to talk about that mother-daughter relationship because she mentioned about her mother being a golfer as well. We do that as we continue across the country and around the world. We've got you on Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're talking golf with Annika Sorenstam, the Hall of Fame golfer. And as I pointed out a little bit earlier, she is regarded as one of the best female golfers in the world. Let's talk about your mom a little bit. Uh, I know you two were in a daughter mother golf tournament and you finished second in that tournament tell me a little bit about that relationship because i always you know they talk about fathers and daughters fathers and and sons but tell me about the relationship you had with your mother yeah no i I think i have a great relationship with my mother and as a matter of fact i was just talking to her before i got on the phone with you and you know obviously very instrumental in my career as much as my dad they both you know very competitive my mom was actually the club champion a few times so you know, she has that competitive mind, and in Sweden we have uh, different Swedish championships, and one of them is for mother-daughter. So when I got to an age where I was able to compete, you know, she wanted to play with me, and, you know, it was a highlight. Um, I, I know for a fact it was a highlight of hers, and I can see why, because I have a daughter now, and if I would play with her, I would think that that would be a highlight. And, you know, she will get out her best outfits and her best head covers, and, I mean, this was like a big deal, and, uh, it's uh, it's an alternate shot type of format, and you know at the time I was, you know I think I had surpassed her in handicaps. So it was, you know I was kind of helping her a little bit. And, and the quick story, uh, we were I don't know which hole we were, but we were around the greens, and I had missed the green, and she had to chip, and she said, Annika, what what club should I use? And I was you know analyzing the situation. I said, Well, how about you take a seven and bump and run? And she goes, No, 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 I can't bump and run. I said, Okay, well how about um, you take a, a pitching wedge and then, you know, kind of land it here a little bit in the air and do that. No, 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 no. I don't like my pitching wedge. And I looked at her and said, why are you asking me? <laughs> I I like, she ended up taking the putter and, 
ended more of a bump and run, and it turned out beautifully. So I will never forget. It was great. Like you said, we finished second, and, you know, that was kind of a silver medal. So great, you know, as everybody knows, to play golf, you know, being with your family on the golf course, the bonding, you know, the relationships, the memories that you build, it's just something very special. So, you know, I will always cherish that. And, you know, fast forward, obviously, now when I have my own children and, uh, we will still play golf together. We go and play three generations, and sometimes, you know, the girls play against the boys. So it would be my son and my dad and my husband against uh, my daughter and myself and my mom. So <laughs> it's such a it's a, such a fun thing, you know, to do. I was, we we're all different levels, all different ages, but, you know, I can't think of any other sport where you can really do that and have a good time. What's the best piece of advice she ever gave you about golf? Uh, my mom has been very, you know, um, supportive in a lot of ways. But, you know, the, the, there are a few things I, you know, remember. I was, um, you know, I had just received uh, a scholarship from University of Arizona, and I was going to leave Sweden. So I'm 19 years old, and, and she's dropping me off at Stockholm Airport. And, you know, it's quite a flight ahead, and I got two suitcases and a golf bag, and it was a big moment, and, you know, she gave me a hug and said, well, you know, we certainly would miss you, but keep in mind it's, it's equally as long back as it is going there. So I knew that I can come back at any time. They would be there, and they would support me through my journey. Um, and just knowing that, you know, having that comfort, knowing that they were there and let me explore, but, you know, if it doesn't turn out, you know, they will be here when I come back. So I think just the unconditional love. And, I mean, think of all the times that they drove us, my sister and, uh, you know, drove me to these tennis tournaments where it'd be like we would lose six zero six one. You know, they, was just, <laughs> they didn't say much, but it's in the car. And we all know that, you know, maybe the future wasn't there, but they kept driving us every weekend. Um, and, then, you know, but my dad has also been very instrumental in giving me some advice. So it's good to know that they've always been there in support. And, you know, now as a parent, you see what really the investment they do. You, now you really start to appreciating them a little bit more, I guess, because when you're younger, you just kind of take it for granted because now we drive around our kids and you're like, wow, did they do this literally every weekend? <laughs> do you remember that aha moment when you realized, uh, Annika, that you could play golf at a high and successful level? I do. I mean, I was, you know, I was 16 years old and I had just lost another tennis match. And, um, you know, because, you know, in tennis, you always, if you're not seated, which I wasn't. I always got to play the seated players, and, and they were always the best, of course. That's why they're seated. So it was really a short. And I realized that this is not going to do it for me. And I was playing a junior golf tournament at my home club, and you know it was stable for it at that time. So I had forty points, and and I beat my competitor competitors by quite a bit. And even though it was handicapped, I just realized, you know what? I think you know, first of all, this is more fun. <laughs> and number two is, I think I have a lot more potential here. And and, you know, tennis was just very, you know, I got really frustrated. And, and golf, I just, I, I was looking at more at opportunities, you know, like, oh, I can do this, I can do this. Wow, this is fun. And golf, I mean, tennis, it was more like, you know, I don't even know how to look at this anymore. So, yeah, I remember quite clearly, and I remember telling my dad, I said, you know what, I'm just going to put my tennis racket on the shelf, and I just want to play golf. And he said, okay, let's do it. And early in an important decision in your life and career was to move to the United States and go to the University of Arizona for a couple of years. How did you come to that decision? Well, it was uh, quite funny, actually. I was um, I was enrolled in the Stockholm University, and uh, they had a college tournament in Japan, of all places. So I went over there and represented Sweden 
and they had a few college teams from the United States. I remember Arizona, the, the women's team was there, of course, and then they had a team from Texas and Clemson. There was a few, and that was the first time I was introduced to college golf, and um, I was paired with one of the girls from University of Arizona, and, and she was super sweet. We had a great conversation, and she introduced me to the coach after the round and said, hey, coach, I'd like you to meet Annika. She, you know, she has, I think she'd be great, you know, with our team or something like that. And so I met her and, and, uh, you know, she said, I will send you some information. Look, you know, look into what it's like. I didn't know anything about NCAAs. I really didn't know where Arizona was. I didn't know where Tucson. Um, and I got home and I remember, you know, my parents said, how was your trip? I said, it was great. I, I said, I think I'm going to go and play college golf. And they're like, what? And then I got, you know, <laughs> papers in the mail and, and this is like in September. And then, so I did all the SAT tests and all the things you need to do to prepare. And then August following year, I was in the plane to Tucson. So we really, I wasn't really looking around. I really wasn't recruited or I didn't really try. I just, it sounded great. The coach was nice. The players had seemed like had a good time. And, and I said, why not? So yeah, it was kind of like a, a last minute, if you know what I mean. And then it turned out to be, you know, perfect. Annika won seven collegiate titles, and in 1991, she became the first non-American and first freshman to win the individual NCAA Division I championship. Golf is such an individual sport. Playing it in a team concept, how was that for you? What did you learn from that that maybe helped you along the way down the road in your career? You know, I loved it. I really did. Um, like you said, it's an individual sport, and I played tennis as also an individual sport. But I did, you know, I did like soccer and you know, having teammates, having that support, having the camaraderie, you know, having the kind of the cheering on from each other. So when when you play college golf, it's, it's um, a little bit of a combination of both, you know, because you play as an individual, but then you also add up your team score. And so you cheer for each other and you travel together. So I loved it. I thought it was great. I really did. And obviously for me, it was, you know, coming to Arizona, play golf all year round because in Sweden, you know, from – November to maybe March, you know, there's no golf outside. So all of a sudden I was playing beautiful courses, practice facilities was, you know, fantastic. I had great competition and friendly teammates. So, I mean, it was a win-win situation and I liked it. I mean, I made the team, you know, the first tournament and, and uh, it was just, it was obviously nice to get a chance to travel. I mean, I, I, um, I traveled, you know, to different to play against other teams and it was a wonderful experience and then of course learning a different language and and growing up you know living in a dorm and being away and it was a great preparation you know for the future we have about a minute left before we have to break again another big decision in your life and career was you turned pro in 1992 what was the most important factor in making that decision Annika well I felt like um you know I was ready I had um you know I was an older I went to college a year older than others because the school system in Sweden is a little different. And, uh, you know, I had studied to be a chemical engineer in Sweden. I was, And then when I came to the U.S., I felt like I had to start over with a lot of one-on-one classes. And I felt like, you know, I'm not really getting anywhere. And my golf was getting quite good. And, and you know, I was inspired by the LPGA when they came to town to watch them. And I started to dream about, you know, life as a professional and, after two years, you know, like you said, I'd done quite well as a college player. So I decided that, you know, I was going to uh, take a break and, and give it a try. And so it was more just, 
looking forward and thinking, you know, this is what I want to try now. And if it doesn't work out, I can always, you know, get my degree or my chemical engineering back and see if I want to do something there. So uh, luckily I haven't looked back. <laughs> it turned out okay. Yeah, Annika's first professional win came in 1994, the Holden Women's Australian Open on the ALPG Tour. And we'll talk about that and also about our foundation as we continue on Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Annika Sorenstam is with us on Sports Byline. She won 72 LPGA tournaments, including 10 majors and 18 other tournaments internationally. She also tops the LPGA's career money list with earnings with over $22 million, and she won a record eight Player of the Year awards. In the United States, Annika, you were the LPGA Rookie of the Year. You had three top ten finishes, including a tie for second at the Women's British Open and made your Solheim Cup debut. But the year that was really uh, important was your breakout year in 1995 when you won your first LPGA Tour title at the U.S. Women's Open. What was it about that year, as you look back on it and reflect, that made it so successful for you? Well, this was, um, as you mentioned, I had you know had one year of learning, one year of getting some experiences and getting comfortable with life, you know, life on tour and the experiences. Um, I think, you know, just looking back, I mean, it was such an important year for me in the sense that, you know, it gave me the confidence. It gave me, you know, the belief in myself that, first of all, I'd made the right decision to be a professional and that I was capable of winning out on tour. So as we know in golf, it's so important to have the confidence and, you know, and then, uh was interesting that it was the U.S. Open, a major of all tournaments. I mean, I had dreamed about winning U.S. Open, uh, but it's been in tennis, and, and here it was in golf. And, you know, I was totally, uh, you know, I was really, I came into that tournament under the radar, uh, and I just, we played them in Colorado, Colorado Springs, and at the Broadmoor, a beautiful golf course, and just fell in love with the golf course right away, and my game was, was good, at you know, that week, and, and it just turned out, you know, to be so, so exciting and so successful for me. And, um, and I just still look back at that as probably one of my most important wins for all those reasons. Is confidence a contagious sort of thing? I think so. I mean, it's the belief, you know, standing over a shot. It doesn't matter if it's a driver or a putt. Just knowing that you can do it, you know, seeing the lines and seeing the positive results and, and then, you know, be able to relax and trust yourself. And um, and I think, you know, in golf, I mean, they say the longest distance is between your ears. So, you know, if you start <laughs> doubting yourself, if you're having negative thoughts and and uh, if you don't believe in your, you know, your ability, it gets really, really, you know, you get tight and and uh, you just really don't you kind of guide the shots and you kind of force it rather than just kind of let it happen. And, and that's what happened to me. I went out there and I trusted myself and, but, you know, at that time, I also I also knew that, you know, this was not my full potential. I mean, I, 
I was only, you know, year two on the tour and I was 24 and, and I, I felt like, you know, I have a great journey ahead of myself and I know what I got to work on. I got to do this. I got to do this. And so I felt, wow, if I can win now, then, you know, that made me even more excited about, you know, the potential in the future of improving and, and having a chance to, you know, be able to do it again. Throughout the rest of the 90s, you certainly had great success. But when you go on to the 2000s, I was interested in a comment you made. You said, at this point in your career, you said you lost focus having reached your biggest goals. Explain that a little more to me. Um, sure. I was, you know, I, I've always been a goal setter. I've always um, enjoyed, you know, planning my season or thinking ahead what I want to achieve and what was important to me. And that would be my driving force, knowing that this would be important, whether it was, you know, playing well in college tournaments or just, you know, increasing my distance or different, you know, short-term goals. And then eventually the long-term goals will be, will be to win on the LPGA. And, um, and then what happened was I, you know, I won, I won more than I ever thought I could. I was, you know, I kept working hard. I pushed myself and had a lot of confidence. And then I won some more. And it was just, it was just, obviously it was a lot of fun. And, uh, but eventually I came to a point where I, you know, I couldn't, you know, I was pushing myself so hard. And then it was some of these goals that I was, they didn't come naturally anymore. You know, I woke up and, okay, it would be nice to win a major, but I'd already won a major. And, and then it was, you know, it would be nice to win five times this season. And, and then I had, then I won 10 and I won 13 and 11. And then I felt, you know, the pressure of, of performing every single year. I mean, I remember in, 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 towards the end of my career, and you know, how do you start the season uh, if you don't win 13 tournaments? You're having a bad year. <laughs> it just, you know, it was exhausting thinking of thinking like that. And so I, I was forcing my goals, and I realized that you know, goal is something that needs to come from the heart. You know, something that really motivates you to go out there. You know, through thick and thin, whether it's you know, raining or sunny or windy. You know, but when the goals really don't matter, I, I kind of lost my motivation. And I think that started to be more clear that, you know, I wasn't as hungry anymore. It wasn't that important anymore. And my thoughts were, my thoughts were elsewhere. I wanted to do other things. You know, I started an interest in, in my foundation, golf course design, to mention a few things. And that kind of took my, you know, my focus away from, from practicing and, and competing. Let me ask you about a couple other aspects uh, of your career. You still managed to win more LPGA tournaments than any other player in the 90s. And then during 2001, you had eight LPGA wins. You became the only female golfer to shoot a 59 in competition. Now, I've heard about being in the zone, but explain to me what that, that round of 59 was truly like for you as a professional golfer. Well, it was, I mean, of course, it was an exceptional day. And, you know, growing up in Sweden and the Swedish national team, we had created this vision, Vision 54. And, and what that meant was, you know, you can birdie every hole because uh, if par is 72, you make 18 birdies, it's now 54. So, um, you know, it was like just thinking, you know, hitting fairways, hitting greens, one putt. And I know I can do it. You know, I've, I've done it many times. Not necessarily in one round, but if you play the same course over and over, um, you know, I had birdie every hole. So the thought was, why can't I do it in one day? Because every hole is, you know, birdable. It's possible. So uh, obviously it's a mindset. So when I came into, you know, Phoenix, uh, it was called the Standard Register Ping. It was uh, March. And um, 
it was a Friday, and I had a, um, you know, the morning tea time, I was starting on the back nine, and I was rushing a little bit because I had gotten a little delayed leaving the house, and so it was a quick warm-up, but I got off to a really good start. I birded the first one and kind of winded down, and then um, then I made a ton of birdies, and um, it was just one of those days where it just, you know, obviously I hit I hit 18 greens, so I had a lot of birdie opportunities. There was really no miss, you know, missed uh, hitting shots, but, you know, I looked at the hole, and I saw the line. I committed to it, and I did it, and you know, I was in that zone, as you mentioned. It felt so easy. You know, I never second-guessed. I never thought about the consequences. I looked at it. I, you know, had a plan, and I did it. I committed to it, and it was just, I mean, I still look back and like, wow, that that felt so easy. Why can't I do that again? You know, I've hit, I've, I've hit 18 greens uh, in regulation before, but not been able to finish, you know, the way I did that day. But it was certainly a, a really cool experience, and, just the other day, we celebrated 20 years of anniversary of shooting 59. So um, some things I remember clearly and some things I don't because I was in that zone. Let me ask you about 2003 and the men's PGA event that you decided to play. You were invited to play in the PGA Tours Bank of America Colonial Golf Tournament, becoming the first woman to play in a PGA Tour men's event since Babe Zaharias back in 1945 at the Los Angeles Open. What motivated you to play in that men's tournament? Well, I had been number one uh, in the world for a few years, actually since 2000, and um, I was looking for ways to get better. I kept pushing myself. There was a part of me that believed I still could get a little better. I hadn't really reached my full potential, so I was looking at ways. Um, you know, I, I was practicing with some of the, the men on the PGA Tour because I lived in Orlando, and there was, you know, quite a few of them in the neighborhood. So, um, you know, growing up, you know, I did play with the boys at my club so it, to me it was just it wasn't that you know big of a deal but then you know I got to practice with with Tiger and some of his friends and it just pushed me a little extra you know it made me want to be better you know whether I worked harder in the gym or and then when this opportunity came about you know I thought this would be great because now I can really see what I'm made out of and see if I can handle the the spotlight and the pressure that kind of comes with it and um so I did get that opportunity in January I was asked at a press conference if um, if I wanted to do it, and then in May um, I decided. Well, I decided before that, but I ended up playing in the Bank of America Colonial, uh, Dallas, Texas, and it was just incredible experience. Looking back, probably one of the highlights of my whole career. I know. And talking to the late Byron Nelson, I asked him about that great year he had, and I think it was 1945 when he won so many tournaments. And he could tell me every shot he made during that season, and probably over his entire career. And so, with that in mind, when you look back on your career and all the shots you made, is there one that really means a lot to you and brings a smile to your face, Annika? I would say that the tee shot at the Colonial that day um, brings a smile to my face, but also just how monumental it was. I mean, I had prepared for four months, and, and uh, you know, there was a lot of attention to this tournament. I mean, it was the first time in 58 years that a woman had played with the men. So, you know, of course, there were some critics, and some people didn't understand, you know, why is she doing this? And, you know, she's hurting women's golf, hurting, you know, women's sports. And then the other side was, this is great for golf. And, you know, I had players reach out, want to play practice rounds, and, you know, just, so, you know, it was uh, it was an interesting moment, but for the other anticipation, standing on that first tee, just, you know, putting the ball and putting the tee in the ground 
the ball on the tee and kind of focus. And I mean, I was ready. I mean, I had practiced so hard, and it was just okay. Let's just get this going. You know, let's get this over with and enjoy the moment. And I remember making good contact, and the ball just for one of my longest forwards I've ever hit because of the adrenaline and split the fairway, and off I went. One of the things, of course, now that you're retired is that you've gotten into other aspects, and you have the Annika Foundation, and this is really an important foundation. It gives back. You host six international junior events, and you incorporate a more-than-golf theme to teach the players about fitness, nutrition, media, giving back, etc. Tell me a little bit about this uh, foundation. I would love to. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, the, the foundation, is, this is our 13th year, so... You know, I feel like we have um, been able to do quite a few things uh, the last uh, last few years to inspire the next generation. But it really started with, you know, the end of my career. I knew that it was some, at some point it's going to come to an end. And what can I do? What's important? And, you know, what's important to me was to be able to say thank you to golf. And what can I do to, to inspire, inspire other young girls uh, to play this wonderful game and to, you know, live a, follow their dreams like, I, you know, that I've been doing. So... You know, we wanted to create golf tournaments. I wanted to do things that I had done. So I wanted, being an international player, I wanted international tournaments, you know, high-end quality tournaments. We wanted to make these girls feel special. We wanted to have the best players there, good courses. And so we started in the U.S. And then within the national field, it became evident that, you know, we were going to have tournaments in a lot of different places. So today, you know, we now have in China, we now have in New Zealand, we now have in Argentina. Uh, and we now have one in Europe, and then we have a college event. So uh, we do have um, a nice global presence for young girls to fulfill their dreams. So we have become a recruiting spot for many college golfer coaches um, so that players from overseas can get a chance to utilize all these uh, scholarships that are available. Uh, we have had, you know, every year we would have over 600 girls participate in our events, and uh, uh, many of them are now on the, on the LPGA, and several hundred are now playing the Symmetra Tour. And uh, we give out an award every year called the, the Annika Award, presented by Stiefel to the best collegiate Division One female player, uh, just to celebrate their success and encourage young girls to take that path. So it's been tremendous. You know, I love doing it. Obviously, with these times, COVID times, we're a little restricted, like everybody else, but. You know, our enthusiasm and my goals haven't changed. You know, once things start to open up, we're going to continue that. We, You know, we do some virtual things now, but, you know, we've been able to, all these young girls, whether they're from, you know, Peru or South Africa or, you know, Japan, to go through our, our events. And, um, you know, the Augusta National Women's Amateur, which is one of the biggest amateur tournaments, uh, we're literally going to have, you know, 70 out of the 72 players that played in any of the uh, initiatives. So we're super proud of that, continue to to work with them, you know, whether it's, you know, it's not just about, you know, making these professionals. It's about building a great platform for them for the future, you know, help them with confidence, make, you know, life decisions and prepare them for what's next. And, you know, I mentor some of these girls through these programs have been fun uh, just to be able to share my knowledge and my passion for the game. And, yeah, it's my way to say thanks. Annika, I want to thank you for your time. This has really been uh, special for me as well, watching you, covering your career as well, but not only for what you did for golf, but for women as well and what you're doing with your foundation. You're welcome here anytime. Please come back and join us again on Sports Byline. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. 
Annika Sorenstam, the Hall of Fame golfer and regarded as one of the best female golfers in the world. We continue across the country and around the world with you on Sports Byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.